Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. If, if you're new here and you don't know who I'm, I'm Peter Anderson. I get the, the privilege of, of working here at First Baptist Hanford. We're excited that you're, uh, that you're here with us this morning. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I texted Jeff to ask him if this was okay to make this announcement, but he didn't respond because he's not on his phone. But Jeff and Kristen Milhan are grandparents once again. Uh, they're, yeah. <clears throat> I'll let them share the details, but I just wanted everybody to go after Jeff and Kristen after service and create some sort of mob scene. Um, but uh, but we're, we're in the middle of our, uh, our series here in the Gospel of John uh, titled, I Am He. And we've really been going kind of a chapter a week, trying to speed up and ramp up uh, as we head kind of into the Easter season. Um, and so uh, we will be concluding this series on Easter Sunday. Um, with shocker, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, I know for those of you who are, didn't want to know how it ended, sorry. That's how we're going to end uh, this series with uh, the resurrection of Christ. But we have that going on on Easter. We'll hope you, we hope that you will, will join us uh, for that. Uh, and like Pastor Jeff said earlier, we are going to be in John chapter 9 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to John 9. You can tap open to John 9, whatever sort of device that you have go open to uh to john 9 uh we're gonna get there in just a second but i want to share a couple things before we uh before we get there most of you probably know uh, a little bit about my story um because uh one of the things that that comes with leading a congregation and being a pastor and speaking on a regular basis um, is really kind of this idea of authenticity. Like I wanna be authentic with who you are and part of that just means my book, my life kind of gets to be a little bit of an open book. Um, good and bad, you know, everybody gets to have an opinion about my life um, and that's just part of the burden of leadership. Um, and so uh, I have shared in the past numerous times about my dad and his, his fight with cancer uh, and uh, him uh, getting cancer when I was 17 years old, he passed away. Uh, when I was uh, 22, Sarah and I were a few short months into, my, into uh, our marriage with one another. Uh, he did get to be at my wedding, which was uh, phenomenal, but he never got to meet any of his grandkids or anything like that. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing. That's a really hard thing. And I'm not going go to go into all of it. I'm not going to talk through all of uh, you know, his chemo and his radiation and all of that stuff. But I do specifically remember a time when me and my brother and my mom and my grandma, we all drove uh, to Stanford. And my dad was going to have a, uh, a very serious surgery, the most serious of any of the surgeries uh, that he had ever had before. And the cancer was uh, behind his right shoulder blade, um, and it had just kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back, and eventually it got into his right lung, and it spread, and eventually he passed away from it. But this surgery, what they were doing was taking out the majority uh, of his, his rib cage in the back, the right rib cage in the back, and part of his lung. Um, to make sure that they could get all, you know, all of the cancer. And uh, so we went and I remember sitting in the hospital room and I'm like 19, 20 years old at this point, something like that. And I have no clue what you're supposed to do in a hospital room, right? Especially with somebody who's about to go in for major surgery. Um, and so I just remember sitting there awkwardly and I think baseball was on, baseball was probably on. Um, and uh, then my dad just looked at me, he said, hey, uh, Pete, he called me Pete. Uh, can you, uh, can you pray for me? 
Like, uh, I'm like 19 years old. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for <laughs> right now, Dad. Um, because this is a very serious surgery that he was going in for. And so uh, we, uh, we prayed. It was me, my dad, and my brother. We prayed, and uh, I just remember praying for, for healing, for uh, wisdom, for doctors to have steady hands, all the things that you're supposed to pray for in that moment. And I distinctly remember saying amen and um, giving my dad a hug, giving my dad a kiss. And then as we were walking out, I thought to myself, God's not going to answer that prayer. And I remember thinking that because I had been praying those same prayers for three years over and over and over again of heal my dad, heal my dad, heal my dad. My dad was my superhero, probably like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of you in here. He taught me everything I knew. Um, he, uh, his, one of his famous quotes was, I've taught you everything you know, but I haven't taught you everything I know. Um, and so that's how he kind of kept his mental edge on me and that sort of thing. Um, but I remember walking out and having that feeling, having that sense that, God, I don't think you can do this. That's a hard thing, especially for somebody like me who grew up in church, knowing that I'm supposed to pray, I'm supposed to understand and believe that God can heal, God can uh, work miracles, God can do whatever he wants to be because God's a massive God. And I remember leaving his room thinking, God, you're not gonna heal my dad. I don't think you can heal my dad because I've been asking you to do it for three years and I've been faithful to you for three years and I'm doing all of the right things that I'm supposed to do and you haven't shown up. And so the only option is, is that you can't do it. I remember having that thought. And that's, that's a hard, hard thought to have. And while my dad did come out of surgery, okay, God ultimately did not heal my dad of cancer. God actually took my dad, like I said, uh, a few short months after my wife and I got, got married. He died. But what God did through my dad's passing, what God did through my mom and the people who were in my mom's life, what he did through uh, my dad's passing in his sibling, my dad's sibling's life, what he did uh, through my dad's passing in my life, in my faith, was indeed nothing short of miraculous. And so while I think to myself, okay, God, as I prayed this, I didn't think at that moment that you could answer my prayer. I didn't think you had the power to be able to answer my prayer because I had been trying for a long time and God, you're not showing up. So obviously you don't have the power to be able to do this. What I was not able to see is what God was going to do on the other side of that was the miraculous things, the miraculous work that God was going to do in my life, the work he was gonna do in my mom's life, the work that God was going to do in my mom's friend's life, my dad's sibling's life, all of these different things were absolutely miraculous things. Now, that's a real hard story to start my sermon with. I know all of you are like, we just sat down, worship was phenomenal, and you hit us with like your dad dying of cancer story. Okay, so what we're gonna do, we're all just gonna take a deep breath, Okay, good. So now we're going to be opening up to John 9 in one second. But, but, but the question we need to ask ourselves, and the reason I put us in this kind of frame of mind, is because even for me, as a pastor, who I am a quote-unquote professional Christian, like even for me, I regularly have to go back to the idea of, do I believe, do I actually believe what Jesus did, or do I simply believe in the idea of Jesus? 
And I think there's probably a lot of us in here who, who maybe on the, on, like on the get-go are like, oh, yep, I believe in those things Jesus did. I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible was, was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by men. And, and man, all of those things were just put together and preserved perfectly. And yep, I'm all in. I love Jesus. Everything in the Bible that, that it says, I believe 100% to be true which is a, a, a great things, uh, those are great things, but, but here are a few things for you to chew on if you say that you actually believe those things, okay? Let's go Old Testament. Let's go some of the stories, that, the, some of the lovely stories that we love to teach our kids in Sunday school, okay? Let's talk about God's condemnation of the entire earth with the flood, okay? Where he killed everybody on earth. I don't know why we teach our kids that story with like rainbows and giraffes and not like dead floating bodies in around the world. I do know why we don't do that. I don't know why that's like a main story. But anyway, so, but let's think about that story for a second. Okay, for 40 days and 40 nights, do you believe that for 40 days and 40 nights, God flooded the entire earth? The entire earth. And, and, and you can say yes quietly. I'm not looking for like a call and response here. But th- just answer in your head. Do you believe for 40 days, the entire earth? Okay, that's okay. Maybe it's fine. You know, climate change and all that stuff. I'm not trying to trigger anybody, but you know, 40 days, 40 nights, okay, feasible, maybe. Okay, do you believe then that on top of that, before that 40 days and 40 nights, that, that God spoke to a man named Noah and said, hey, these are the exact specifications that I have for this boat that I want you to build. So I want you to spend a really long time building this boat to these exact specifications. God audibly spoke to Noah, okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can get on board with that one. Okay. Now let's take it a step further and say, okay, now in that boat, Noah was able to wrangle two of every single type of animal in the entire world onto that boat. And then God shut them in. They had like crazy storms for 40 days and 40 nights. It stopped raining and then eventually they, they, they ran into some ground, they opened the doors, and then all of those animals went back out into the world to repopulate the entire animal kingdom. Do you believe that? Okay, let's, let's go to another, another one of our favorite stories uh, with children, okay? Let's, let's talk about the story of Jonah, okay? Jonah, minor prophet, right? Do you believe, first and foremost, that Jonah... Uh, God talked to Jonah specifically and said, hey, I need you to go talk to this people group. This people group that, by the way, Jonah hated, wanted nothing to do with them. And so Jonah's like, nah, not gonna happen. I'm gonna run away. Hops on a boat. And then God's like, all right, you can't run away from me. Here's this crazy storm. Good luck, Jonah. I'm gonna kill everybody on this boat, Jonah unless you tell them to throw you overboard. So Jonah's finally like, all right, okay, God, hey guys, throw me overboard and you guys will all live. First noble thing that Jonah did in that entire story, by the way. But so they get Jonah, they toss him overboard. And of course though, before Jonah drowns, a big fish comes along, right? Baby shark comes along and just gobbles up Jonah, spends three days and three nights inside the belly of a big fish 
And while he's in that belly with stomach acid and, and, and terrible conditions, and I don't know what he's trying to eat to survive or what he's trying to drink to survive or anything like that, but he survives. And finally, after day three, he's like, all right, God, you win. I'll go do what you asked me to do. And then the, the big fish goes up to land and just barfs him out. Do you believe that? See, because, because here at First Baptist, and if you were to call yourself a Bible-believing Christian, we believe in what's called the authority of Scripture. We believe that the Bible is actually truthful in everything that it affirms. So everything that the Bible affirms to be true in Scripture, we believe those things are true, including the flood, including Jonah, and including the story that we are about to, that we are about to read right now. But the question is, the question remains, do you actually believe what Jesus did or do you simply believe in the idea of Jesus? And we're gonna get into John chapter nine right now. It says this, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. We're talking about Jesus here. He's not the blind one, Jesus was moving along. Verse two, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Okay, so we're gonna stop there for a second. Brief overview of everything we just read. Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they see a blind guy sitting by the side of the road. This guy had been blind since birth. And the disciples ask him, hey, tell me why, Jesus' disciples, tell me why this guy is blind. Was it his own sin or was it his parents' sin? which is a weird question to ask when you think about it. Was it this guy's own sin? And this guy was blind from birth, meaning he sinned in the womb, okay? So they ask him, was it his sin or his parents' sin that he was blind? And to us, it may seem like a weird question. That feels like karma, right? That feels like, oh, he did something bad, so we're gonna punish him. He did something not okay, so we're gonna punish him. He's gonna get punished. But what they're actually leaning on here isn't just jacked up theology by the disciples or anything like that. They're most likely pulling this from scripture, okay? Which is a crazy thought, but it's pulled from Ezekiel 18.4, the first one that he sent for, it says, for everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Okay, so they have pulled this straight from the book of Ezekiel. And then there's another one in Exodus 25 where it talks about the idea of his parents sinning where it says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, so this isn't weird theology. This is Jewish tradition. This is what they believed would happen if they sinned or their parents sinned. This is what happens when we live according to the law, not according to grace. 
is that there is punishment that is handed down because of sin that you have partaken in. Jesus, though, isn't a fan of either of those answers. And again, he came to fulfill the law and kind of pave a way for everyone to get to heaven. So Jesus responds with a resounding, nope, neither of those things are true. Neither of those things are true. And interestingly enough, he says, he says it actually isn't because of any sin this guy or his parents committed, but because he is blind, because this guy is blind, we now have an opportunity here for me to show you who I am once again. A general reading of this and the way that it's punctuated uh, in, in three and four, and you can throw up the next slide there, on John, yeah, three through five, the way it's, it's punctuated, it makes it sound like the reason this guy was blind was because of the fact that Jesus was going to heal him. But upon kind of deeper study and me kind of pulling apart the text and doing a lot of reading and that sort of thing, uh, the NIV does kind of speak to this, but the NIV actually did something um, to make this more readable. First, the words, this happened, were added by the NIV translators to make it more readable, okay? This doesn't mean the NIV isn't trustworthy or anything like that, okay? This simply means that in order to make it more readable for us in our modern context, they needed to add some grammatical words in order to make it be more readable. So they added the words, this happened, and there are no corresponding words like that in the original Greek text. Okay, so they added those words. Secondly, early Greek manuscripts of the New Testament weren't punctuated at all. Okay, so as people are reading through this, translators are reading through this, editors added punctuation to the story and rendered literally without, without punctuation, it would actually read like this. Go ahead and go to the next line. It would read like this. Jesus replied, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God may be revealed in him, it is necessary for us to work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one is able to work. So it's actually possible to punctuate it like this. And I actually believe this was the intention of the story where it says, Jesus replied, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God may be revealed in him, it is necessary for us to work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one, no one is able to work. So when we punctuate it this way, okay, when we punctuate it this way, the way the original manuscripts probably intended for it to be punctuated, the text implies not that the man was born blind so that the works of God uh, could be revealed in him, but that Jesus had to carry out the work of God while he was here. And so because of that, hey, there's a guy who's been blind since birth. I'm gonna make my glory known in this situation. Does that make sense? I know it's a little bit heady, it's a little bit deeper, and we're messing with some grammar and probably with some of your heads in here and that sort of thing. That's okay. If you have more questions about it, please feel free uh, to ask me. But important, these things are important because while the Bible does tell us in Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are, who are the called according to his purpose. So we need to recognize that sin and sickness and death are not the result of God, but they are the result of man's decision to sin. In short, God doesn't make bad things happen to you or happen to you because of sin. Bad things happen to you because of sin. 
And that's a little twist. It's a little twist, but God doesn't make bad things happen to you because of sin. Bad things happen to you because of sin. It's not God's fault. So often we blame so much on God. When my dad was walking through cancer, man, it was all God's fault. How could you do this to him? How could you do this to our family? You're tearing our family apart right now. My dad is the glue that holds us together. My dad loves you so much. Why would you take him away? Why, why, why? And I kept blaming cancer and sickness and illness on God. And in reality, in a proper reading of scripture, we would recognize that all of those things entered into creation, not because of God, but because of man's rebellion to God. And so when we go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, it talks about the fall of man. Death wasn't even a thing in Genesis one and two. Sickness wasn't a thing in Genesis one and two. In the midst of creation, it was perfect. It was very good. And then man rebelled and because of man's rebellion, sin enters into the scene. And so often we love to blame God for the bad things that happen to us. I mean, most notably is a question we get all the time. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Right? Raise your hand if you've heard that one. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Oh, you believe in God? You believe in a big God? How come he's allowing bad things to happen to good people? Well, the question's fundamentally flawed in the first place because we're all assuming ourselves to be good. Okay? I'm a good person. I tithe. I give a homeless person all the change in my ashtray every time I, I drive by them right? Whatever it may be. I'm a, good, I'm a good person. We assume ourselves to be good people when the Bible is very clear that we're not. The Bible is very clear that actually Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is messed up. Every single one of us is inherently bad. It tells us that no one is good apart from God. That's what scripture says. So it isn't God who has messed up your life. It wasn't God who had messed up this guy's life in order for his glory to be known, this blind guy's life in order for his glory to be known. It wasn't his parents who messed up this guy's life. It wasn't even him who messed up this guy's life. This guy's life was messed up because of the world in which we find ourselves, the sinful world, the broken world, the messed up world in which we find ourselves. That's why bad things happen. That's why bad things happen. But let's keep pushing. So Jesus does something amazing next. Okay, I think it's amazing. Other people think it's gross. I think it's awesome. That Jesus kneels down and he spits into the dirt. Now, if this guy had his sight and Jesus was like healing something else, my assumption is this guy to be like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Right? So Jesus kneels down, he spits into the dirt. He makes a nice little paste probably in the palm of his hands, right? And then he puts it on his fingers and he wipes the guy's eyes with this mud. And so then Jesus tells him, all right, look, now that you have my spit on your face, go to this pool. And this pool, ironically enough, and I love the way that, uh, that, that this story kind of breaks down, the pool is called scent. It means scent. And we're gonna get to that a little bit further down in the story. But so Jesus says, hey, go wash your face off. You will be healed by the time you wash your face off. And that's the last time we hear about Jesus in this story. Jesus and his disciples, as far as we know, don't stick around to make sure that this guy's eyes were healed. 
to make sure that he didn't go or, or to make sure that he actually had sight. So the guy goes, he washes his eyes off, he can see, and he does probably what all of us would do at that point. He's like, ah, I don't have to sit here and beg anymore. I can actually see, I can go do something. I can be, I can be more productive with my life, maybe earn a, earn a living for my family. I can help support them for the first time in my life. I won't be looked down on in the midst of that society to look down on people for their disabilities. Like none of those things would happen anymore. So he decides, you know what? I'm gonna go back home. I'm gonna go to my oikos is the word that's used. Oikos is a Greek word, it means household. And the way we talk about it is the people that are kind of under your care, the people uh, that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed into your life to make an impact for the kingdom of God. He goes home to people who know him, people who know him, who my assumption is he thought, hey, man, these, if anybody's going to be excited about anything, these people should be excited about that. Now I wanna stop here again because this story we believe this story in principle. We believe this story in theory. We believe this story in the same way that we believe in the story of Noah's Ark, in the same way that we believe in the story of Jonah. We think to ourselves, yeah, it's been taught enough. Yeah, it's in the Bible, so of course I believe it. But you think to yourself, if you had a friend who came up to you who had been blind since birth, and said, hey, this dude, he kneeled down and made some mud out of a loogie. And then he wiped it on my eyes and told me to wash my face and I could see, like that is a hard reality to come to. That is a difficult thing to be like, yep, I believe that. And this story is the same as those others. That we believe it in theory, we believe it in principle, but the question we need to ask ourselves is are we actually open to the miraculous? Are we actually open to the miraculous? Because if you believe in the Bible, which I do completely and totally, then the answer to this question has to be yes. The answer to this question has to be yes. And if that is the case, we need to believe that the miraculous and the unexplainable not only should exist, but we should expect it. Not only should the miraculous exist, but we should expect it. Think about the idea of prayer for a second. Why do you pray? Is it to kind of, you know, center yourself before your day starts? Get my mind right? You know, sit there and just talk, think about my feelings and be thankful and, and just, man, I really just want to start the day on the right, off on the right foot. Because I don't think those things are bad, and I think that is a byproduct of prayer. I really do. But we pray to God, one, because it continues to establish a relationship that we have with God. But two, we should be praying to God because we assume it works. We should be praying to God because we assume it works. And if, we, and, and if you were like me, walking out of my dad's hospital room after praying and thinking to myself, no, nope, no, nope, didn't work. That prayer is not gonna work. God can't, do, God doesn't do the miraculous anymore. And that's okay if that's where you're at right now. I don't want, I don't want you to get down and frustrated because you're like, man, I don't even have enough faith to assume that prayer works. Like, don't, don't get down about that because I think that's a real question we need to con consider to ponder is are you open to the miraculous? Are you opening to God actually saying yes to your prayer? Are you praying in such a way that you assume that God is going to show up? 
Or are you praying because that's what you're supposed to do? Because that's what me or Jeff or Kyle or anybody else on staff or your small group leaders or whatever say it is that you're supposed to do. Or because it's dinner time, that's when we pray. Because food will give us a stomach ache if we don't. So my grandma taught me. <laughs> we have to be open to the idea of the miraculous because we worship a God who is way bigger than the natural order. We have to. We worship a God who exists outside of time. We worship a God who exists outside of space. We worship a God who set the laws of physics into motion. The created order, he set it into motion and he can willingly step in and out of it whenever he pleases. Those laws don't, don't apply to him. He actually created those things. And I'd say if you aren't open to the miraculous, I'd venture to say that you aren't open to a big God. If you aren't open to the miraculous, I'd venture to say you aren't open to a really big God. This man who was healed with spit mud was open to the miraculous. And because of that, he was changed forever. And that's where the story picks back up in verse eight, where it says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks, he only looks like him. Okay, last I checked, last I checked, is that when you are healed of blindness, your physical appearance doesn't necessarily change too much, right? I mean, this guy was blind and maybe, you know, something was going on with his eyes or something like that. And all of a sudden, God transformed him. God, Jesus miraculously healed him. And so he goes back to his neighbors and his neighbors just start an argument about who this guy is. They don't even ask him at first. Like he interjects himself into this conversation. They don't, even add, they don't even recognize him because of the transformation that took place. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Verse 10, how then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. He'd know for two reasons. He'd know, one, because he was blind. And even if he knew what Jesus sounded like, there's no way he could possibly identify Jesus. And two, Jesus left. He did this and left as far as we know. So he's like, hey, look, I don't know where, where Jesus is. So he goes back to Azoikos. They don't recognize him. They argue, they argue, they argue. If he were the same man, how is this possible? He gives a simple account of how the miracle occurred. He referred to the Lord as the man they called Jesus so that they at least had a name. But, but this, is, this is what I wanna to get to this morning. And, and it's gonna feel like we're kind of landing this plane incredibly quickly, but this is what I wanna to get to. If you are someone who claims to follow Jesus, do people notice your transformation? Do people notice your transformation? As Christians, we oftentimes think about this as our testimony, right? It's the word we use, our, 
our testimony. We talk about how God has changed our lives. God has changed our mindsets, our internal thought processes, our belief systems, our morning routines. I wake up and I read my Bible and I pray to get myself centered and, and geared up for the day. I do all of those things. The reality though, is that when God has miraculously changed our hearts, our actions should follow. Not just our thought processes, not just our belief systems, not just saying yes to a prayer at the end of service or anything like that, our actions should follow suit. See, James 2.18 talks about this very thing. and says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Don't just talk about it. Don't just tell me that you believe something. Show me. My faith is made evident by my deeds, not simply because of the things that I believe. Our faith should manifest itself in changed externalities. The way that you operate, the way that you function, the way you interact with people, they should ask you why you live differently. In the same way, this blind guy comes back to his neighbors and like, I don't even think that's the same person. He's had a miraculous transformation. He encountered something massive. So there's no way that that is the same guy. There's no way that could possibly be the same guy. People should ask you that question. What happened? Why are you different? Those who you used to, to live and party with should not be able to recognize the new you because of the fact that God has miraculously healed you from sin. And because of that, your actions look different. Your actions should look God-honoring. And church, what would it look like? What would it look like if instead of believing in Jesus in principle, instead of believing in the Bible in principle, we took what it says and actually fleshed it out, actually lived it out. If we decided that because hell is a real place and because Jesus is the best person to emulate that we actually got over ourselves, got over our pride, got over our insecurity, grabbed our Bibles and say, yeah, I believe this. If you think I'm weird, that's okay. I'm not concerned with you. I'm concerned with God's opinion of me. And so I'm gonna get after it. I'm gonna live according to his word. I'm gonna live according to, to the life that he says I should live. I'm gonna live in such a way that, that my, my internal belief system, that belief system is gonna flesh itself out in the way that I live in the world. What would it look like, church? If we just said, yeah, that's what, we're, that's what we're about. That's what I'm going to do. The flood, the big fish, the spit mud, the prayer, the salvation, the miraculous and the transformational were all things, all things that we said, I'm gonna hang my hat on that because the Bible says it's true. God says the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is true. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture was God breathed every single piece of it. And so because of that, I'm hanging my hat on that. And if I come across a little bit weird, that's okay. Because hell is a real place. And I want my family to be with me for eternity. 
And I want my friends to be with me for eternity. I want my neighbors, I want my oikos to be with me for eternity. I'm done, I'm fed up with the like one foot in the world, foot foot in the church, like forget about it. Man, have both feet in church. Have both feet in your faith with God. Ground yourself there and be able to simply reach out to those people that you don't find next to you. Those people who are indeed in your oikos. Those people who need to know who Jesus is and they should already know that you follow him. Why? Because your externalities should look different than the world's. Because all of us have undergone a miraculous transformation. Anybody who has said yes to Jesus has undergone a miraculous transformation. And that's what we did. If that's what we decided we were gonna do, we were like, you know what, I'm all in. Our church would be rich, a rich, authentic place where people wanted to come and be a part of it. And our schools would be transformed because our kids wouldn't worry about what their peers necessarily thought. They'd be concerned with God because they were taking our cues from their parents. And the way that we live, the way that we concern ourselves with things. Our schools would be transformed. Our places of employment would look different because our attitudes would be one that expresses joy and not frustration. Our towns would look different because we would treat others with dignity, regardless of their belief system or their political affiliation or their sexual identity. They would just say, look, you're a human. I care about you. I'm messed up. You're messed up. Let's figure out how to honor God with our lives together. Let's figure it out. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. Man, I'm meeting you here and I'm gonna love you to where Jesus wants you to be. And some of it's gonna hurt and I'm gonna hurt with you. And I don't understand all of it, but we'll figure it out together. And let's just go, let's just, let's just honor Jesus. Our cities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our church, man, we would be changed. Not because of what we hold deeply on the inside, but because of what we do with that belief. Completely and totally changed. People would be, want to be a part of the kingdom of God because they would recognize that not only is Christianity too true, but Christianity works. Not only is Christianity true, but Christianity works. And it started with Jesus coming to earth, performing the miraculous so we could be transformed. And there's no better place to observe that than at the foot of the cross. That's where you observe those things. On on the first Sunday of every month, we get the opportunity, our tradition here is to be able to receive communion on the first Sunday of every month and happy March, everybody. You don't have to be a member here to partake in communion. All we ask though, is that you are indeed a part of the kingdom of God. Communion was actually instituted by Christ in the upper room. And and in just a second, we're gonna do exactly what Christ asked all of his disciples to do, simply to partake and remember Jesus as we do it. And our ushers, they're gonna be serving from the back in just a second. got Kyle and and Bobby are gonna be on stage. They're gonna lead us in some worship. They're gonna serve from the back. And as they pass the plates, there's cups in the plates and they're double stacked. There's juice on the top, there's bread in the bottom. Make sure you grab one of each. And what I really want you to think about today, what I want you to do as you are communing in your time with God, I want you, one, to think about Jesus. 
because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the miraculous transformation that he has made in all of our lives who have said yes to Jesus. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what Christ did for us. But the second thing I want you to ponder, the second thing I want you to think about and commune with God about is I want you to think about how your externalities aren't currently matching up with your internal belief systems. What things do you personally need to do to make sure that your belief system and your, and your actions are completely and totally lined up? There's, there's two words. One of the words is orthodoxy. It means correct belief. And we hear about that word a lot. What's your orthodoxy? Your theology is another word we kind of throw out. Your orthodoxy. The other word is orthopraxy. We don't talk about that word that much because that's the difficult word. Orthopraxy is right living. And when your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy are out of whack, then you aren't walking according to the word of God. We need to make sure those two things are completely and totally in line. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward. I'm going to pray. If you've never said yes to Jesus and you're like, you know what? I want to be a part of this. I want to, be, I want to live for something bigger than myself. I want to put my faith in God. I'm saying yes to Jesus. We're going to pray and we're going to say the ABCs the same way we do at the end of every service. And if that's you who have said yes to Jesus for the first time, man, we're so excited to be able to take your first communion with you as a believer in Christ. So why don't you bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, man, on the outset, this is a very straightforward, simple text. That God, your son showed up onto the scene, he healed a man and he went home and he told his friends. Told his friends what you did in his life, they witnessed the transformation, the miraculous transformation that you had. And on a, per, on a first reading, I thought to myself, this is super straightforward. But God, the application to our lives of being open to the miraculous, and beyond that, allowing people to recognize our transformation, those are two very hard truths for us to grapple with today. And so God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to those things and allow us to help answer those questions. Are we open to you performing miracles? Are you open to saying yes to prayer? Do we pray expectantly? And even beyond that, Father, do people recognize the transformation in our lives? Is our orthopraxy such that people ask the question, why do you live differently than you used to? How have you been miraculously transformed? God, I pray we would, we would be able to wrestle with those questions. Beyond that, Father, I know there's people in here who have not said yes to your son before. You're sitting here thinking, you know what, I need to, I, this is it. I've been waiting to figure out what living for something bigger than myself looks like. And if that's you, I would just, with head still bowed and eyes still closed, I just encourage you to pray along with me and just say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. 
No one is good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is messed up, and I'm no different, God. I messed up. I have my sin, but God, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of living that way, and so I be, I believe that you sent your son, God, to the cross for my sake, that he took on the sins of the world there, that, that, that my sin, my lying, my cheating, my stealing, my pride, my pornography, my whatever, is nailed to that cross with Jesus. And I've been delivered from, from that. And Father, see, I choose to follow you every single day of my life that I'll believe in the miraculous. I'll believe in the authority of your Bible. I'll believe in the authority of scripture that I would say, I'm gonna hang my hat on that. And that's it, I'm done. I'm done living in two worlds. I'm gonna choose to follow you and you only, period. God, I pray that will be true, not of just those people who've just come to faith this morning, but also those who have been part of faith for a very long time. Focus us on your son, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.